episode 36 of Let's Grab Coffee. I'm here today with Dr. Greg Wells, who's a scientist and physiologist who has dedicated his practice and career to making the science of human limits understandable, has a PhD in physiology, and is the author of three books. Dr. Greg Wells, thank you very, very much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks uh, so much for having me on your show. We'll have a lot of fun. You know, one of the things I was always thinking about is, and you come, I'm sure you come across this all the time, all successful leaders typically have a very strict and productive morning routine. Is this something that you come across? I'm kind of very curious to know what your morning routine would be. Yeah, sure. So I've had the incredible opportunity of spending a lot of time with some pretty epic uh, people in sports and business and music. And morning, there's a few consistent things that I see. One is the number of people that are quitting alcohol is off the charts. People do uh, have a meditation practice. That's the second thing. And everybody's talking about their morning routines. Uh, I have a pretty involved routine, but the number one thing I do is sleep. Believe it or not, unless I unless I sleep, my morning routine goes out the window. If I haven't had a good night's sleep, I will sleep in until I get the sleep that I need because then I can't function the day if I don't have it. Uh, so I'm typically seven to eight hours a night sleep. If I'm tired, if I've done a workout, I'll bump it up to nine, believe it or not, which is a lot, I know, for many people. Uh, and then the morning routine, wherever possible, consists of waking up in and around five o'clock. Uh, naturally, ideally without an alarm. So going to bed early enough to make that happen is key. Uh, and then get up, go to the washroom, brush my teeth, all that sort of stuff um, downstairs and as fast as possible get working out because if I delay, then it just doesn't happen. So what do you I do should... in the winter, by the way? Just a small check in here because yeah. I find, you know, especially and we, we both live in Canada, so excuses are inundated when, when winter hits and people are like, I can't go to good life, George. What do you want me to do? I don't have yeah. a gym in my condo. What would someone do in that case? Yeah, so uh, I took a small room in my house and turned it into a, a gym. So Love I have absolutely no excuses because I'll make all of them. So uh, <laughs> I, I eliminate excuses. So we took a small room. I've got a treadmill in there. I hooked up my gym, uh, my bike to a trainer, bought a ton of little kettlebells. There's a yoga mat and a TV. So literally anything that you want to do, you can do in that little room. And uh, I watched... If I'm going to watch anything, I will watch it when I'm on the treadmill or the bike. I have to earn, earn television and movie time. If I'm not on an airplane, uh, yoga videos, we do those just on the mats downstairs. Uh, that is where I will be starting to do more meditation. I'm starting to do it down there versus other places in the house. And then I'm also a member at various different gyms just because wherever I happen to be, I want to be able to make sure that I can get somewhere. Uh, and I've started booking myself into hotels with good gyms as well. So I'm literally making – taking taking all the guesswork out of being fit and just trying to integrate it into life by making it super, super, super easy. One of the things I really loved, uh, and I heard this uh, recently, but usually people put alarms for when they wake up. You put an alarm for when you want to go to bed. That's because you really stress the, the idea of making the sort of bed routine just as um, kind of efficient as the morning one. Why is that uh, so important? I actually think defending your last hour and your bedtime routine is far more important than your morning routine, to be honest. Uh, morning routines are important, but getting a good night's sleep is paramount. We know that you learn better if you sleep. We know you're more creative if you sleep. We know we regulate your uh, nutritional hormones like leptin and ghrelin to control your appetite and satiety. Uh, there's growth hormone releases, all sorts of different things that occur when you sleep well. And so getting to sleep on time and deeply is critical and having that bedtime consistency is one of the ways that your body learns to go to sleep at the right time. 
we all have circadian rhythms that affect us. And if we're going to sleep at a whole bunch of different times throughout the course of the week, your body never knows when to release melatonin. It never knows when to go to sleep. As a result, it makes it really difficult for you to fall asleep quickly and deeply. So I am a big fan of trying to do the bedtime routine and just falling asleep at the same time far more than I am of being uh, of what time I wake up in the morning. That's a bit more variable, but what, I, what time I go to bed at night, we try to make that as consistent as we can. Interesting. And you're talking about nutrition as well. I mean, uh, is there something where, we, where you say, you know, you still have a university textbook about nutrition and, you know, the first line is, is nutrition is almost the base for everything, right? And I'm not exact on the statement. Um, what are some superfoods that you have to have every day? Because I'm sure you, you patternize your meals. You probably, you know, meal prep as well. So I'm just kind of curious. What are, what are some tips from uh, Dr. Wells? Uh, so consistency is, again, the game. I don't pretend to be perfect in nutrition. We're still working on it. Uh, Judith and I have been working on this hard for a few years. We continue to iterate and get better. Uh, it's a it's a challenge in today's world. I think our nutritional system is badly broken. Uh, I think that a lot of the nutritional advice that we've been given has been is totally flawed. Uh, you mentioned nutritional textbooks, and I had a big, huge nutrition textbook. The first line of which is nutrition is the foundation of human performance and health. It's totally true. Uh, unfortunately, though, we're learning. Well, fortunately, we are learning so much about nutrition that roughly every five years, half the nutrition knowledge that we had previously has been shown to be un, uh, not untrue, but we've evolved our knowledge beyond that. So the half-life of a nutrition education right now is in and around five years, just as it is for medicine. And so we have to continuously evolve our thinking to make sure that we're on the cutting edge of what we know uh, is the best for us, mm-hmm. assuming that you allocate your budget to actually buy foods that are that are good for you. And so around superfoods, and there's no scientifically accepted definition of a superfood. So I'll just ca- classify in my world, the way I classify superfoods is something that if you ate more of it will actually improve your health. So for me, the go-to uh, are berries, because that's uh, a way for me to fuel my workouts is, is using fruit instead of protein, uh, instead of sports drinks, excuse me. Uh, or gels or anything like that of that nature. So I do a lot of blueberries, a lot of uh, blackberries, a lot of, of strawberries. Uh, we do a lot of nuts in my house. Uh, we've got a product that we use called Living Fuel Superberry Ultimate, which has every vitamin and mineral that we need uh, that I do as well. We do as many plants as we can eat. We're, we're fairly plant-based, not not vegetarian or vegan or anything like that, mm-hmm. although you can do that if you choose to. We're very, But we do choose to eat as many plants as we can. Uh, so we're just, we're really trying not to eat processed foods. So that's literally the extent of it. If it comes out of a box, we're trying not to eat it. Uh, if it's been pre-processed, we try not to eat it. We're just doing things the best that we can to eat real food that we recognize as food and, and make it ourselves. Yeah. It's almost that, uh, you know, all these saying that when you go to the supermarket, stick to the corners, not the center. I mean, so much 100%. of this is, is very, very kind of mm-hmm. easy. You know, it's easy to kind of read. And you mentioned this before, like we almost overcomplicate things uh, with nutrition. Why do you think it's so hard, though, for people to gear off that momentum of, you know, sticking to sh- sugar-filled uh, diets or canned foods and whatever and go to the stuff that seems pretty logical to eat, like plants, fruits, and maybe organic meats? Yeah, so as you mentioned, just when you go to the grocery store, stick to the outside. Uh, don't go into the aisles unless you absolutely have to. And then you, you run in, grab something and get out as fast as you can. Uh, you know, avoid, and I think the the challenge around it is because a lot of it has been marketed to us. 
in a certain way that we think that we have to have those processed foods. We can't survive without those processed foods, um, which is, of course, absurd. You can get all the vitamins and minerals that you need from from plants and from organic meats if you choose to go down that road and um, sustainably sourced fish uh, to be super careful about farmed fish because it's not the best in the world for you. Really, for both fish and for, for meat, it depends on what the animal was fed as to whether or not it's good for you. Uh, but the variable really is time. And so when we're trying to eat better, the thing that you have to wrap your head around is allocating a certain amount of time to food prep. And eating healthy does take time. I don't believe it's more expensive, although I've heard that um, I've heard that excuse given by people before. People say, I can't eat healthy or it's too hard to eat healthy. It's too expensive. It's not. It just requires the time to actually prepare food. Rice is cheap. Vegetables are relatively cheap beans late lentils legumes they're all cheap all the traditional cultures around the world have healthy foods that are not expensive to make uh it's only in north america that we seem to think that uh traditional foods and and healthy foods are expensive and and again i think that's just a bill of goods that we've been sold by people that are trying to make money off of uh off of us in order to to maximize profits at the expense of our health but when we adopt that mindset of taking the time to actually make our own foods it completely revolutionizes your world and you the way that we do it because we're super busy my wife's got a, a chiropractic and therapy practice i'm traveling all over the world and multiple different jobs and a you know a company that's growing plus a research lab at sick kids and writing books and speaking and all those other things um so we tend to do meal prep two to three times a week where we will go buy vegetables chop them all put them in tupperware get them organized we'll batch cook protein so we'll do for example um eight lamb burgers, cook them all, put them away to get those ready for the next few days. So it becomes a grab and go scenario. Oatmeal oats are another amazing, overnight oats are another amazing one where you can prep those on Sunday night. They last till Thursday. So there's ways of doing it that enable you to eat um, healthy food. That's cheap. That's affordable, that tastes good uh, and grab and go to make it fit into your life. But it, it does require a mind shift and a, and a commitment to doing things a little bit differently if you want to go down that road. Yeah, I totally agree. And you even say something where, uh, you know, most often, and you're doing more research around this, but food can, uh, can often cure uh, chronic illness. You know, in my case, I never had a, a real chronic illness, but I had a propensity of, of uric acid. And it was more hereditary. It wasn't really based on my diet. I wasn't eating a lot of purines, for example, or, or like heavy fat proteins. It just had a very high level of uric acid in the system. What I ended up doing, and this was a recommendation from my dad, was every morning drink uh, uric acid. No, sorry, drink apple cider vinegar with warm water uh, before you do anything. I did that for, I mean, I've been doing it ever since, but I, I did that for about two years. Recently got my blood work done, and it was clear. Hmm. You know, so uh, it's funny how sometimes things can, can can help prevent it. We often you know, we'll go strict, straight to medicine or pills or whatever, and before we even take a look at what is in our diet that's either being an advantage or a disadvantage to our, to our health. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, when I had a, a heart infection many years ago, uh, I couldn't take the meds. I was allergic to anti-inflammatories. And so I had to heal myself using anti-inflammatory foods, which I did using blueberries, ginger, uh, going largely plant-based tons of, uh, green vegetables. So it is entirely possible. Now let's be super clear about this. Food is much better at preventing chronic disease than it is at curing it. And so ultimately, if you don't want to get a chronic disease, it's lifestyle that will prevent the chronic disease. Medicine will not prevent a chronic disease. 
in the vast majority of cases, obviously sometimes that, that it is possible too, but in general, we want to be preventing disease. And food, mindset, sleep, and exercise are the mechanisms through which we can do that. Once you have a chronic illness, it is possible to speed healing, to promote recovery using lifestyle, of course, but you also then have to potentially use pharmaceuticals as well to facilitate that uh, recovery or surgery. If I've had a heart attack, for example, I want the medical interventions. Uh, If I've had cancer, I want an oncologist to give me chemo and radiation to get rid of the cancer. Then I will heal myself from there. Uh, So it really is all about doing what we need to do now to prevent those chronic diseases from happening in the future. And that is not easy. We're busy. We have stuff to do. Kids have to be taken all over the place. Um, Meetings occur. We get tired. It's so difficult. And so the key really is to build that lifestyle where it just becomes part of what you do every single day and you get everybody on board. You get your family on board. You get your partner on board. Uh, You shop a certain way. You make sure that all the food in your house is as healthy as it can possibly be. You batch cook. You plan ahead. And if you can put that effort into making success inevitable, then success becomes inevitable and your lifestyle shifts. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. It's that uh, habit installation theory that Robin Sharma has popular popularized where uh, based on research from university college of London, it takes anywhere from 20 to 120 days average being 66 to install a new habit. So if you're going to try to eat better or eat healthier foods, really starting with that uh, two-ish months of total focus on that one thing, install it into your life, and then move on to the next thing. So is the way to go. Look, therefore, you can maybe do four to six new things a year if you're lucky. So take small steps, little tiny adjustments, micro improvements that consistently occur over time. If you do that, you'll end up in a great place. Yeah, I, lo- I love that, especially around these automating. And it's funny how it applies to so many other things in your personal life, right? Like your personal finances, an example. When you automate your, your savings or your investments without you having to consciously go in there and having to do it when you don't have time or you're too busy, it just uh, it makes things so much more seamless for you. 100%. If you automatically take $20 out of your pay- paycheck every single month, you throw it into an account, you earn compound interest over the course of a lifetime, you end up being a millionaire. And that is exactly the same principle that we need to apply to our health. And if we can do that, then all of a sudden, amazing things can occur. Tell me about your, your, your sort of sleep, uh, sleeping habits that before you sort of instilled, you know, those productive ones that you, know, you were talking about earlier. What, and if at all, you were doing things that were not conducive to, to good sleeping patterns, what were you doing that other people can resonate with that maybe are hindering their sleep? Yeah. So up until, you know, I got that challenge with my, my heart and then eventually my daughter ended up getting quite sick too. We didn't really prioritize sleep. We just slept. It was random. We didn't think about it. We got tired. We went to bed. We had to wake up. We woke up. If we got a great night's sleep, great. If we didn't, we didn't. And so there was really no control over it. It was just sort of occurring. And if it was good, great. If it wasn't, then we just sort of struggled and got through. That didn't work out well for us. We ended up getting quite, quite sick. And so doing things differently became a priority. And in my research on how to get out of the hospital and never, ever, ever go back, I discovered sleep. And when I started digging into the research on sleep and reading so much research on it, I discovered it's related to cancer. It's related to cardiovascular disease. It's an independent risk factor for depression. 
Uh, it influences whether or not you have inflammatory responses inside the body. It influences your ability to lose percent body fat. Uh, it influences your muscles recovery from exercise. It became the number one thing that we needed, I realized, to do in my family to get better. And so we began to install a, a principle in, in our family called Defend Your Last Hour, whereby as much as we possibly can in the last hour before we go to sleep at night, we do not use screens. We put away the phones, we put away the tablets, we put away the computers and do little things like Epsom salt baths, which are amazing, meditation. Huge. Oh my God, Epsom salt I baths have changed my, changed my life, <laughs> especially in terms of the speed with which you recover from workouts. It's off the charts. I love uh, it. Amazing. Yeah. So defending that last hour has become really important. And that's the number one thing I think people can do because so many of us in the last hour are, you know, spending our time looking and scrolling through these things or doing email and nothing that's actually going to make you better, nothing that's actually going to improve your performance, nothing that's going to make you more productive because it takes forever to do things at night that you could do in three or to five minutes the next morning. So it really was just around prioritizing recovery, regeneration, and getting a decent night's sleep in that last hour. And ever since we've been doing that, uh, our lives have gone in a very different trajectory and things are a lot better. And what do you think, because just talking a bit about mental health and you, you brought up the device, which you know, I think all of us are pervy to, uh, and more so obviously millennials. And, and it's, it's clear, I think there has been a clear link with you know, increased sort of depression and, and mental illness with, with regards to increased use of like social media as an example, especially with, with the millennial generation. How much do you attribute you know, fitness or nutrition to improving your mental state? And which one would you argue would be a bigger percentage? if not maybe all of them together. Yeah, sure. So I think we need to just take a step back and say that although there's a lot of discussion about uh, mobile technology and devices and social media and mental health, it's very unclear right now. There's lots of research coming out, but we're not quite sure how it all fits together. And although there are some associations, uh, the effect of these devices on our mental health is yet to be really determined. And so an idea that I have for everybody until we – get to a better understanding of does this device cause depression? Does this device cause anxiety? Does social media cause problems or, or, uh, or does it not? And we don't actually know the answer to those questions yet. Uh, it, the idea that I learned from a gentleman named Sadhguru in India is intention versus compulsion. Right. If you are compulsively scrolling through Instagram late at night, that is a problem. Uh, if you are intentionally engaging on social media to positively comment on someone else's work, I think that's a great thing. And the Me Too movement happened on social. As the father of a little girl, I'm pretty fired up that that happened. It made the world a safer place for her. That's great. Uh, if you are comparing your physical, your body to someone else's Photoshopped uh, vacation pics on Instagram, that is probably not going to work out all that well for you. Uh, so it, intention versus compulsion is, is the game. And, multi, and mental health is very holistic. The really interesting thing I think that we're learning about mental health is just how lifestyle-based it is. And nutrition plays a factor. There's an entirely new field emerging called nutritional psychiatry, where we're learning about the effect of food on the brain and how foods can promote improved mental health or cause mental illness. I think that's a, a very important thing for all of us to understand. Our diet affects our mental health. We're learning a great deal about how sleep affects mental health. We know that a lack of sleep is an independent risk factor for depression and anxiety. So therefore, if you want better mental health, sleeping is critical. 
And we're also learning a tremendous amount about the type of exercise that is beneficial for our mental health with endurance exercise and strength training and walking and even integration of those uh, types of activities into nature and the benefit that that has on our, our mental health as well. So it's not one thing. Uh, I wouldn't even prioritize them. I say it's a lifestyle approach that if we want better mental health in our world, which is important, where in a world where one in five people are affected by mental health in their lifetimes, then we have to start taking a better holistic approach to mental health and building lifestyles that enable us to be healthy, both mentally, physically, and even emotionally and spiritually as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing I kind of experienced over the summer too, and I, sometimes you know, there, there are certain things you can do, obviously, when the weather is nicer outside, granted. But even like taking long walks, which I know you're a fan of, uh, you know, if you want to listen to music just to chill out or a podcast or an ebook, it really puts you in a, in a very kind of therapeutic state. Or if you go for a long distance runs, uh, it really just allows that kind of downtime, you know, where you're kind of more reflecting on certain things. So I found that to be very, very helpful. Huge. And I want to latch on to something you mentioned there about music. There's been some mm-hmm. really cool research that's come out in the last uh, couple of years that shows that um, music affects the centers of your brain that are also affected by depression in the exact opposite way. That de- so where depression may negatively affect those centers, music can positively affect those centers. So listening to music can also benefit your mental health as well. So listen to great music, everyone. Uh, build that playlist. Don't be afraid to play play music in your house. Just keep it going in the background. Use it when you work. Use it on your way to and from uh, to the gym. Use it while you're training. Music is wonderful for your mental health. And, and you know, before I get to my last question, I do want to reiterate the fact that uh, I really enjoyed how you, you differentiated the use of, for example, just social media on that front with devices. Uh, because, like, for example, the way we connected was through Instagram. You know, yeah, and, uh, totally. and I was very intentional about wanting to find a very interesting guest that I can have to talk about the subject uh, versus, you know, as you said, aimlessly scrolling all the time and being very diligent about comparing yourself to others. I mean, that's where the leakage happens. Yeah. So uh, I really like that fact. About it. Um, you know, one last question on this front. This is all, um, I, I guess this, this can all really take place when one is consistent, as, as you pointed out with behavior. What sort of tips would you give to someone who can be consistent when it comes to all those key areas, whether it's fitness, sleep, you know, nutrition, all those sorts of things. Um, yeah, I think the biggest factor that I've seen people use that has enabled them to start being more consistent is understanding that action precedes motivation. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that they're going to get motivated, then all of a sudden they're going to start taking action and being consistent. It's not the case. We, we t- start taking actions. The more actions we take, the more motivated we become. Uh, David Goggins, uh, who wrote some an interesting book this summer, a former Navy SEAL, uh, has really espoused that idea. It's where I got that idea from. Um, so pick one thing and just do it. Like just start. Uh, five minutes of walking, uh, one plant-based meal a week, uh, two minutes of meditation at 10 a.m. It doesn't really matter what it is, but pick one thing. Just get going and everything will start going better and better and better from, from that point on. And one question I always ask uh, people I have great conversations with is one piece of advice you'd leave someone uh, who's looking to make you know, an impact in their life in a positive way. Um, you know, it's interesting. One piece of advice. Yeah, have fun. Give me two or three. <laughs> no, I'll just go with one. Like, have fun. <laughs> life is short. 
you are in control. Like you are in control of your life. You, you can make decisions that positively or negatively affect your life and enjoy yourself. Like we're not here a long time before you know it, you're going to be looking back and wondering what happened. So spend some time with your family, call a loved one, go to the park, do something cool, make a great dinner. Let's do an awesome piece of music. Like just enjoy your life. It's going to go by way too quick. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And yeah, just that's something we forget and something I'd love for people to do a lot more of. Amazing. And where can people uh, connect or uh, just maybe reach out to you? Yeah, sure. Um, reach out to me via my website, drgregwells.com. Or the best way, obviously, is connecting on social, even though we talked about that. Uh, I do eventually answer all of my messages on social. If you DM me on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, I will. Pro I promise you, I will true. get back to you. Um, that's how you know this happened. And so I will eventually do that. And all of my social media are at Dr. Greg Wells. Amazing. Thank you very much for this conversation. And uh, I can't wait to see what's, what's next for you, sir. Right on. Can't wait. Uh, we'll do it again. And I appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience. Thanks, guys. Hope it was helpful. Mm -hmm.